welcome everyone to Maddie's Chat Show podcast. I hope you're ready for the next instalment. I hope you have a cup of tea and a nice piece of cake, if not cake, a biscuit, and relaxed and ready to listen. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to Maddie's Chat Show. How are we doing today? I hope you're all doing well. I do hope you've got a piece of cake and a cup of tea. If you're not a cake, have wonderful fruit and water. As we know, we're going down a healthy line now. We're trying to look good for the summertime. So, but as I say, I'm still eating my cake and having my tea. So, I'm still just the same. Um, so today I've got a wonderful guest. Um, his name is Duke. Now, he's in the Ports of Aaron. He works with Ports to City Council, but what's, what's for Ports to Football Club? My mistake, but he did work for the council before. So actually, it was all kind of flowing together. Um, but this guy has achieved so much in his time. We're going to talk about him. You know, we never know about the man behind the smile, do we? So today, we're going to look behind the smile, and we're going to chat to him. One thing is, I want to say a big congratulations to him as well, because he won an award as well. Um, he won for the Blacklisted 2020. Oh, congratulations for that to him. He's fantastic. So... Let's talk to Duke so he can tell us a little bit about who Duke is, who's behind that smile. So come on and tell me a little bit about you. Or actually, let me just say, hi, how are you? <laughs> hi, Maddie, how you doing? Hi, I'm good, good, good. So Duke, how, so tell me, tell me about you. You know, I know like in Port, in art, you're in the local paper quite a lot. You're all over LinkedIn. You're doing very well. But like, every time I see you, I'm like, there might, Tell me there's more about him behind there, you know. So this is for you. I want you to tell me about you, you know. Okay. Um, I'm originally, I mean, I was born in 1963. Mm. I'm originally from South London. Um, lived with my mum and dad up until the age of 16. Um, obviously, there were lo- lots of domestic violence uh, around in my family. I'm mm-hmm. um, having to live with early, early racism back in the 60s. Um, which which wasn't nice. Um, and then I left home at 16. Um, and then from there, I, I've basically been on my own and, and sofa surfed for years um, until I actually got my own flat when I was about 27. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I had relationships in between and that's basically what kind of saved me. Um, and during that time, um, I, I became homeless. I was an addict. I'm an ex-gang member from South London. My behavior was off the wall, been in and out of prison. Um, my last sentence was in America mm. in, in the 90s, um, which was a very, very, very scary time um, to be in prison, especially in the USA. And it was the most frightening experience I've ever had to, to go through as a man. I, I don't care what any, any man says or anyone mm. says, if you go to prison, whether you're used to it or not, going to prison is one of the most scariest things you'll ever do because you lose everything. You lose everybody, you lose touch. People don't know what you're doing, where you are. And then you realize who your friends are mm. you know, because they will contact you to make sure you're okay. Mm. Um, so I lived in America for a year um, with, with my, my partner at the time and she fell pregnant and we had to come back because we couldn't afford the um, the medical bills, obviously, they went into thousands of dollars. And during that time, we were both we were both addicts um, during that time as well. That must be quite tough, though, isn't it? Like, if you're both addicts as well, because that's expensive. 
Yeah, it? yeah, it was it was mad. I mean, at the time, my ex-partner um, was working. Mm. The issue we had was because I was black and she was a white Irish girl, mm. we found it difficult to get an apartment that would take us as a couple. So basically, mm. she had to go in and get the apartment by herself. Yeah. And then I snuck in. Wow. Um, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's serious racism. And it was in South Florida. Oh, um, right. and don't forget, Florida is one of the last states to rid slavery, but there is underlined vibes still there. Let me tell yeah. you. Yeah, there, um, so there is that. I've seen a yeah. few um, articles. I've seen a few kind of documentaries talking about, you know, we see the one side of Florida, don't we, on the telly. Yeah. But there's yeah. that really, really dark side too, isn't there? That yeah, yeah. There's the ghetto side of it, yeah. the, 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 the drug side of it, the you know, the, the violent side of it and the shootings and everything else. It's a scary place to live. Mm. Um, so um, she fell pregnant. We split up. She went to Northern Ireland because that's where she's from. And mm -hmm. had my beautiful daughter, Tasha, who's now, now Tasha's now 29. Wow. Um, and, and doing really, really well. So from there, Maddie, I, my behavior just spiraled. I came back to the UK. Mm. My behavior was off the wall. I found addiction in and out of um, prison, treatment centers, detox centers, you know, until I had to lose my home and my liberty and everything mm. about me before I actually done anything about it. I had to lose all of that. Wow. Homeless industry, I had to lose everything. Um, and that's the only time mm. I, I turned it around. So I was living in a, I was living in squalor, mm. you know, it, it, all these different drug dens in in London. Do you, you know, feel my, safe? Like the depths were like this. How what well, like the safeness? Did that like you said you come from like your par your parents? You know, your your when you grew up, you had both your parents. When you grew up, did you feel safe in your home anyway? Like. When you no. grew up, was it kind of like it sounds like when you're at home it was already turmoil. So when you came out, you you still lived the same as what you lived when you were a child, but well, you created the same atmosphere, the same environment. Well, my my living conditions. Well, with my brother and I, we we grew up on fear. Okay, because we grew up absolutely on fear, and, mm. I, and I think our childhood was taken away from us because. Uh, my dad at the time is just very super strict. He was a scary, violent man. Mm -hmm. was, we were subjected to physical abuse regularly. Um, and my mum was subjected to domestic violence. And mm -hmm. she, she had to leave and she left us at the age of, I think I was eight or nine. And my mum left and we didn't see her. I didn't see her for about 20 years. Oh, um, she didn't even be in of, touch with you or anything. You know what I mean? Not in the, not in the 20 years, only recently okay. in the last 10. Mm. Um, that I've made contact with my mum. But before that, I thought she was dead, didn't know anything about her, mm. what was going on, because of the, the fear and the stronghold that my dad had on my brother and I at the time. Mm. And I left home at 16. Yeah, it must have been hard home. even then at 16, even, you know, it's hard now, but then it must have been even harder yeah. being a black guy leaving home. Yeah, and, and funnily enough, Maddie, it was a, a guy that I met I don't remember how I met him, but mm -hmm. um, he said I could stay at his house. Mm -hmm. And I went, okay, then. I lived in Plumstead at the time. He lived mm -hmm. in um, Old Kent Road. Mm -hmm. So I just ran away with a bin liner of clothes at Old Kent Road, mm -hmm. met his mum, and then ended up going out with his mum for seven years. Wow. <laughs> his mum was uh, 
I was 16. Mm. His mum was 35 at the time mm -hmm. um, and had four children. I think one was older than me, one was the same age as me, and two were younger. Wow. And that lasted for seven years. And I, I do know now it's because I was looking for that mother figure, which I didn't have from the age of nine. Um, I, I know that now. Yeah. But, um, mm. At the time, I, I wasn't thinking that. And I had no, no role model to sort of give me any advice and think I, I could actually do what I wanted to do. And, and that's how I found drugs and mm -hmm. just went mad, really. Yeah, that makes kind of sense. So like, what were kind of the biggest kind of challenges at that time of growing up? Because that's a big, massive period of your, your kind of experience of adulthood. You know, you left at 16. Some of us don't leave home to, later on, do we? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, or not pushed out, you know, some people. Some people are, and we're, we're not that lucky to have friends. I know it, it wasn't a great situation you walked into, but we sometimes don't have that neither. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, um, my biggest challenge, Maddie, is um, was growing up with racism. Yeah. Um, every single day, we'd, I mean, I had to keep myself fit and strong because mm -hmm. you never know when someone wants to attack you. Um, you couldn't go to the park without someone shouting a racist remark. Or if I'm walking along the road with a white person, whether it's man or female, you'd get the end lover word. And, mm. you know, it was it was it was really tough if you'd walk into shops the first yes can I help you you're not even stepped in the shop two yards and they're all over you mm. thinking that you're going to nick something when actual fact I'm not so I grew up with, with even at school mm -hmm. you know um we were just easy targets so we, we had to get tough and sort of remain in our own cliques but in your school though was it many mix was it you know what I mean a diverse school because I grew up I, I can tell you on my hand how many diverse people was in that school and yeah, what year they were in yeah. as well. I can, yeah, do you know what I mean? I can tell you what year we were all in at when yeah. I was at school because you can literally pick us when it was like the old, you know, sit there in 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 kind of like assembly time where you can go, yeah, well, you know what I mean? It all, you know, everyone's doing that secret nod of like, gotcha, yeah. got a nod across the room, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, my school, my secondary school wasn't that diverse at all. It was at Woolwich, Shoots Hill. Mm -hmm. It was a good school, but um, you, you just had to be prepared for, for what was coming on, mm. on a daily basis, you know, whether you were chased at the end of school. We used to have National Front chase us, fights with skinheads yeah. regu regularly. Yeah, a lot of people, people mm. have been killed um, and seriously hurt and, and, and gone to prison over it, you know, so mm. it was a serious time. Um, and... Living without a mum was a was a was a challenge, you know, because you yearn that parental emotional support, which I didn't have, and how it mm. affected me was that I would I, I was always with other people's families. So for years and years, Maddie, I yeah. would celebrate Christmas with other people's families. Even today, yeah. even today, I, I don't think I've ever. I think I've celebrated Christmas twice with my mum. Mm -hmm and probably once with my daughter, because she tends to go to see her mum, who now lives in Northern Ireland. Mm. Um, so nowadays, I'm getting lots of invites from people that I know, and people that I've made really good friends with, inviting me over uh, to have Christmas dinner with them, and which is nice, but at the same time, I could be the loneliest person in that room. Oh and yeah, I, can, can, I can really relate to that, I understand that, definitely. Mm. Yeah, and, and that still happens today. I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm big enough and strong enough to um 
manage my emotions now around it and if mm. I feel like going I will go if I don't I'm happy with my own self I can sit on my own Christmas day and and have a lunch I mean this year mm. and because of this COVID, year was different yeah because of COVID wow wow this year was tough so uh, <laughs> a friend contacted me and she said oh Duke what are you doing for Christmas and I said oh I'm just going to be at home on my own she went do you know what I'm going to um, cook you a dinner and we're going to chop it down to you and she did her and her oh. husband made a big Christmas deal gravy that hold yeah. the whole works. Oh. Drove, drove down and gave me the Christmas dinner. So like that was just so powerful. That so is powerful. that is a powerful yeah. thing, you know. And that's and and um, I don't know if you believe it, but sometimes don't we have we meet people, friends that become our family too. And I know it's hard as you said at Christmas, but don't you like over you've developed over time friends that have become like your sister. Yes. Or the brother. Yes. Or that kind of person. Like I found it as well. It's to meet some people that like, or some people that become like your mum. Not like mum kind of thing, but they're, they're kind of that person for me, still yeah. being young. And I still go to them and go like, oh, you know, yeah. you've done this bit. <laughs> kind yeah. of ask the questions about things. I don't know what that is. Yeah. I have a few people like that. Yeah. I have a few people like that. And it's about respecting people at the end of the day. And respecting where they they come from, and, and and they've been on a journey themselves. So yeah, so yeah, absolutely. No, no, definitely. Um, another part of it is like when you mentioned that, like you've been through the prison system in England and the prisons in America, you yeah. know, and you said the toughest one you, you that you really have stressed about was the American yeah. system against our system. Yeah, you know, could you go in? Um, what was the you know because you're not you've been there, so what was the difference between them both? Okay, um, the difference between the UK system is that in, in some parts of the prisons, you can have cells on your own mm -hmm. or you can have cells with two other inmates mm -hmm. locked up for 23 hours a day, 22 23 hours a day. now, 22. 22. Oh, God. Uh, depending whether you're cleaning or doing some kind of work or doing workshops or education. Okay. Um, the difference with the American prison that I was in I was in a, a billet style prison so they're like do you remember the old army huts back in the day and they were just billets huts so this is in the 90s so you you would have 30 bunk beds on one side 30 bunk beds on the other side right blacks on one side whites on the other oh my one God. white line across the middle so and you were banged up with lifers you were banged up with everybody so if you saw a lifer with um, a triangle, they're fine. But if you saw, sorry? So was the triangle a tattoo that they put on themselves or was uh, it? The, the triangle is a, a, a symbol that they wear on their uniform to say that wow. they're a lifer. Okay, okay. And, the, and then they have a square. And if you the lifer has a square, that means that lifer is doing multiple lives. He will never get out. So they're the inmates to avoid. Because they've got nothing to lose. They've got Obviously, nothing to lose. If they want to grab hold of you, they can grab hold of you because he's got probably doing 100 years and what's going to happen to him? Worst case scenario, they'll lock him up in solitary for a few months and then let him back out again. But wow. um, that was the difference. You, you were walking around with some yes. serious, serious inmates. And during that time, I was petrified. And there was a young man, he had... Um, killed his parents, he got 25 to life, had a big scar down the side of his face. And he took me under his wing. And the only reason he took me under his wing, Maddie, was because 
he loved my accent. He thought I was really funny. And I taught him how to play chess. Oh, that's good. Okay. And and yeah. he protected me. He, yeah. he protected me. Yeah. There were, there were times where they were stealing my breakfast and, you know, digging me out. I think I walked over the line and they knocked me about for a few days for walking over the line to the white side. And oh I'm, I mean, I'm from the UK. Yeah. Right? I, I, I didn't have this issue with white people. Oh, so over yeah, that. so that's that was real race, not real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's deep. Up, but this is deeper, like real life. You know what? You get yeah, yeah. You, you understand where I'm coming from. You do like in your you face. Know, like in your face. This racism. I, I believe there's different levels of racism as well, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. But this is like the top level. That yeah, you yeah. Like, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Close you know, in your face racism. Yeah, you know, there's nowhere you could hide anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was an experience. I mean, just I spent four months in jail, and I was like that for four months, just looking up, thinking, I do not believe where I am right now. Can't believe I'm actually here. Oh, and wow. you go outside, and you see all the lads doing in the yard and their weights. I was tripping the whole time I was there. Could not believe it. But um, I came back, and it didn't change me one bit. I thought I was a bad man when I came back to the UK. Did it? Yeah, so did it? So in your opinion and you, did it just kind of give it an extra like yeah. in a kind of like, yeah, you know, when your shoulders get even bigger back and you kind yeah, of thumb yeah. is like, you know, yeah, that yeah. Yeah, I've been I've just come from America, they've been in jail. That messed with me. I know what it's like. Yeah. Yeah, serious. Oh my god. So <laughs> um in England, who anyone you meet in in our prison that is kind of like, you know. The big gangster, like people I've, would. Know. I've met a few. I've met Charlie Cray. Mm. Um, I, I've met Lenny McLean. Um, who Lenny McLean is the, well, he was. He, he's passed away now. Mm. Uh, God rest his soul. He, he died from cancer. He was one of the hardest men in Britain, underground fighting. Ah. Um, yeah. Um, him and um, Roy Shaw, two of the hardest men in Britain. Okay. And there was another guy called Johnny. I can't remember his second name, but he was one of the, I think it was the Brinks Matt robbers who was extradited from the States to the UK. Something like that. Mm -hmm. I met him in the prison. I cut his hair and everybody was, oh my God, you're cutting his hair. You're going to get killed. But I said, no, nah, no, nah. I just relaxed and trimmed his hair. He gave me some tobacco and thanked me. And that was it. But yeah. He asked you to um, trim his hair though, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I know it sounds like everyone's going, oh, I was going to kill you, but he asked to trim his hair. Yeah, he asked if anyone could trim hair, and I said, yeah, I can trim hair. And everyone yeah. was like, oh, my God, he's going to kill you if you get it wrong. And rah, rah, rah. Oh. So, yeah. so I didn't get it wrong, thank God. Yeah. Um, I, I was also um, security at um, Ronnie Cray's funeral, um, and I met, met a lot of the heavyweight gangsters at the funeral as well. Hundreds that, of people was, come to that though, didn't they? Just, you yeah, know yeah, what I mean? Was, it's kind it was, of, it the heavy. people wouldn't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. <laughs> what, do want, yeah. what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> they're all here. They what do we do? <laughs> How yeah, do we handle they, this? They just kept quiet, Maddie, the police. Like, yeah, oh. do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, don't, uh, we're leaving, we're letting it go this time. We're just going to let them just let this happen because, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, um, I used to mix with the old gangster fraternity. So, I mean, you, you have these young people nowadays mm. thinking that they're, they're they're gang members. They're not gang members at all because you, you don't you don't put that on display to say that you're a gang member. You don't walk around the streets in gangs on street corners with your with your man bag and your hoodie. That's not gang at all. 
No. You would never know people walking on the street who was a gangster. You only feel them. You don't hear about them. You, you just feel, feel them. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's the they've comes, got a presence. They've got a presence that... They're respectable that, people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if you go back and look at Al Capone times and those original gangsters back in the day, these are suit-wearing gentlemen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, who are doing their own business, doing their own thing. But if you mess with them, you're going to feel them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah. No, I can believe that. Like, it's... If you did something wrong, they would know as well, wouldn't they? Like, you wouldn't, oh. like... you get the message down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You would know. They wouldn't physically come to you, but someone of their business would come yeah. to you and you yeah. know yeah. that anyway. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, so so we were doing odd bits and pieces. I was a subject of County Lions myself back in the day, mm. up and down the country, um, doing all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, w- w- which I'm not proud of, but... Um, but how did you they, keep safe on that as well, though? Because it's still risky. It's very that's, risky. That's All like behaviour was risky. Very risky, yeah. Very. You know? Um, I'll tell you a funny story, though. I, I was, my brother and I were doing the doors mm. in, um, in South London, and we um, had this event in Deptford, and the place was full of gangsters. And do you know what? Mm. There was not one bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I really can believe... I'm not honestly... I can believe that down to the ground, yeah. Not one bit of trouble. Gangsters came from all over the country. And uh, there was not one bit of trouble. Yeah. You know, just just respect. Yeah. I've and been to some places and they've said like, do you know this person? To me, and I'll be like, no. But there's one thing is that you can tell if who's in the building. Like yes. when we when we were allowed to go clubbing or whatever, and I was younger, there were some people I didn't know we related to some people, but you did, but you know, if you keep your head down quiet, you, you wouldn't know you passed through. But you went yeah. to some places, like I've been like up in London and you know, you might know this person. I might know you going into this building, and then like, you just you know nothing. Like some child is also to kick off, and it would be done. You wouldn't even know it was sorted. It would be yeah. so like. Yeah, yeah. Just dealt with. Yeah, it but yeah. so quick, so done. Yeah. So you know, there was no thing yeah. about. But like down in port, like in the ports was before. In the ports we've been out. Opposite, do you know what I mean? It would just be like, and that's when you know the presence or something, yeah. or someone, or something there, or how quick, to the yeah. presence down here, and it's just like, they think they're gangs, but I don't know what it's called. <laughs> it's called, like, yeah. it's just crappy. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the difference, you know, of that. Um, but, um, so, from that point, now, you have come on, it's a mass, look where you are today, you, you know, as I, as I mentioned, like, you should smile on, I know that's another thing that we, that I know for you, is kind of, like, you've got this award, and, ever, you know, I say that to you, you know, we say, we talk about, and you're like, yeah, I know. It's a big thing. <laughs> you're like, yeah. You know, and it's because, yes. Yeah, oh, look. Wow, see, you're fantastic. Can you see that, Maddie? I can see that. People on the podcast can't, but they see it on the on the YouTube. But yeah, you can see it. Football Black Listed Award. Look at that. Do you know? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I've been working with young people for for a long time. I mean, I qualified at the age of 16 and I've been doing it ever since. Mm. And um, I, I've mentored over 150 young people when I worked in Southampton, mm. um, young people with complex needs. And the BBC were following me. Again, I've done um, programs on 
Inside Out, mm. Radio 4 a few times, BBC Radio Solent a few times, and um, the odd news special. And uh, I got, I was on the, e I was doing my emails. Mm -hmm. I was on a webinar, sorry, with the English Football League. And I thought, let me try and uh, just check my emails quickly. And I checked mm. my email and it said uh, from a guy called Ashanti, said, hi, Duke, you've been nominated for the 2020 Football Blacklist Award. I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, excuse me, what? Is this a spam? Yeah. If they sent this to the wrong person. Um, so I emailed straight away. I said, um, hi, Ashanti, is this for real? Mm. He emailed me straight back and went, yep, this is for real. Here's my number. Please call me. Mm. So I called him and he and he told me, and I was like, everything just went bright. Like this, just mm. uh, moment of clarity. I'm thinking, oh my God, I've really won this award. And I'm thinking, why? Why have I won this award? But he, he wouldn't tell me who nominated me. Apparently, lots of different groups in the city, mm. past and present, nominated me for the award. That, but just, you don't need to know, I think, because they've shown you again by just that. Do you know what I mean? You yeah, know, so you know, you've helped, you know. Amazing. I mean, the best thing that came out of it, really, even, even though I, 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 I love the award, is the fact that Ian Wright mentioned my name in the categories build up. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Wright said my name. <laughs> I shared that with everybody but yeah it was a it was a big moment for me it was a big mm. moment for Portsmouth Football Club you know I, I think it's the first of its kind that the football club have won mm. um, I've also received a letter from the owner Michael Eisner ex-chair of Walt Disney mm -hmm. now owns the football club he wrote me a handwritten letter congratulating me as well wow. so I'm really really chuffed with that yeah Really, really shocked. I don't know about Portsmouth City Complex Medity Manager, so that's even better <laughs> change ownership. How long have I been out the loop? <laughs> <laughs> that long. But no, I, I think that's amazing. So, like, you know, you've, you've chat, you, what was your, like, how, have you got any people that did influence you, though, to change or have um, you to, like, grow into this great person that you are, to you are right now? To, to, to be honest, Maddie, I don't really have one person. There was a lot of people involved in my turnaround. Okay. From, from going into, from speaking to someone on the phone, from support services to going into detox, from going into rehab, from doing my, my counselling and all of the, mm. the training that I had to do whilst I was in treatment to coming out. There's so many people that inspired me. Okay. and mentored me along the way you know mm. um too many to mention mm. and they're still inspiring me today you know a lot of them are still still in contact with so i can't really pinpoint one person who's actually inspired me to turn my life around however i can give you a couple of people who have been influential yeah um like my original this lady called mina temple mm -hmm. now she was the original youth worker when i started my training Mm. just before I started my training I was doing martial arts and I was training a young lad in in the flat that I was living with with my partner at the time and she said I'll oh, get out the house and mm. can't be doing it in the house and he told me about a youth club around the corner mm -hmm. so, so taking me around there and I thought oh this ain't too bad so she let me use the hall upstairs and then before I knew it I was 
finding myself getting involved with what they were doing. And she saw the potential in me within the first few weeks and offered me a part-time role. Mm -hmm. And it was that lady, Mina Temple, who sort of inspired me to carry on with youth work mm -hmm. and to do the youth work diploma training and so forth. Um, so I have a lot of respect for that lady. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of people. Bruce Lee, I like his philosophies. Mm -hmm. well, um, he influenced me. Um, he has a philosophy, has a saying that goes, don't pray for an easy life. Mm-hmm. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. That's very powerful. Yeah, do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. Mm. You know, so um, and I go that by by that philosophy as well. Definitely. So there were two people who influenced me, and there's another guy. Um, he's now, I don't know if you heard of Prince E. A. He's an American rapper. He's also a spoken word artist and civil okay. rights activist YouTuber. Mm -hmm. And um, he shares some really thought-provoking videos. He's really, really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have a if you have a minute, type in Prince E A. He's on YouTube and just watch some of his videos. He's so powerful. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely look into that and definitely have to drop the link for other people to look for as well because yeah. I think that's important if you're from a diverse background to have that yeah. kind of thing because growing up. Even for me, I didn't have many role models in the terms that I would say it looked like me, but I had people that inspired me because on the way, and I'm always being inspired as different people. Do you know what I mean? Even right yeah. now, I feel inspired by you and your kind of journey that you've been on. And um, it makes you think and stop and just like, okay, there's, there's tips and things that you're learning all the time. So yeah. I think it's really, really important that people need to do. You know? Yeah. And, I mean, the the journey of my my addiction is is a tough one i'm now 13 and a half years clean of of any substances so you know and mm. that journey is a daily journey um because i'd never thought i'd ever come off drugs and there was times maybe where i didn't want to come off drugs mm -hmm. where i thought i was enjoying myself so yeah. much and that was the way forward but it was the drugs that was uh had the had the biggest impact but now um I'm over 13 and a half years clean, so. Congratulations, fantastic. I know every day is, you're in recovery, aren't you? Is that what yeah. they say? Every day you're yeah. in recovery. You're yeah. always in recovery. Not yeah. that thing, that's that's the thing all the time. Yeah. So what was like the overall kind of, do you know when your overall point, when you went, I have to change. I have to do this now. I can't live like this. Um, have that point yeah I, I had that epiphany if you like mm. um I was living in a house of total squalor mm -hmm. and I looked around and thinking I'm on a bunk bed my room is just like a drug den cigarette mm. butts and paraphernalia all over the mm. place and I was living out of a bin liner mm. you know and that was my total existence and I thought you know what, I'm better than this. Mm. I can't carry on like this mm. because the, the getting of the money for drugs, the getting the drugs, the people dying, the, the dodgy drugs was just getting bigger and worse and worse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, and by then I was, I was, I was an intravenous user. That's how, that's how much it got me. I was, I was an intravenous user, Maddie. And 
you know you don't know what you're putting in your body no out. that's the yeah you you just don't know do you like yeah, all no. i know is that they've got mixtures i hear like mixtures these days yes. putting in yes. like there was a there was a point many years i had to put concrete in they put rat poison to mix it up yeah. Yeah. There was baby powder. Yeah. There was washing yeah. powder. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just like because I need to. I'm, I'm just like this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you don't know what you're putting in your body. So I was uh, basically killing myself on a daily basis. Yeah. I did try, try to take my life on a, on a couple of occasions because of my head was just chaotic. I just didn't know where I was. Didn't know what I was doing. I had no. I had no purpose you know nobody really cared playing the victim and all of this stuff and I thought you know what can't be doing this anymore and I need to go and find support and, and which I did I mean that took a hell of a lot for me to do to admit that I had an addiction mm. and and I need help as a man um so but I, it's I not just the drug that. thing is that you know it's mental it's the mental health as well isn't it you know, you've been through quite a lot of trauma in your life. Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. done, you know. Um, yeah. even before the addiction come, you had so much trauma. Yeah. That I think, you know, for you, you don't know how to deal with that trauma, do you? So you're trying to find, I don't know. You find you try to find ways. I mean, yeah, what was happening to me, Maddie, was that I didn't want to feel. Okay. So because mm -hmm. I've gone through so much trauma as a child, living in Jamaica for a year with my brother, that was horrible. Domestic violence, physical abuse, racism. You know, my brother and I, or especially, I can only talk for myself, mm. um, living through all of that creates this childhood trauma, which I then later on suppressed with drugs. Right, okay. Because I didn't want to recognize it. I didn't want to feel it, didn't want to know about it. Let me just talk about something else because mm -hmm. I don't like who I am right now and I don't really want to talk about it. So mm -hmm. I just get out of my head and talk about what you want to talk about because that's better mm -hmm. than me talking about myself right now. So, and that went on for years and years and years until I went to treatment and then I had to talk about myself. And that's when um, the counselors, they have this analogy of, um, they have a picture of you in a puzzle form. Mm -hmm. They break the puzzle up then take out all the negative pieces about you and then mm -hmm. put the puzzle back together. Mm. It's a positive picture. Is it a physical puzzle or is it just a... No, it's like a, a, a proverbial puzzle, like right. a mental puzzle. So mm -hmm. you have Maddie, mm -hmm. the puzzle looks like this with all okay. your different things going on in your life, mm -hmm. negativity, trauma, behaviors, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Counselors will look at that puzzle and go, right, we need to take this out, we need to work on that, we need to take this out. And then they form a different picture mm -hmm. of you, which is much more you and much more positive. And then we work on that picture and work on your feelings mm. and your emotions. Yeah, a lot of crying, a lot of breakdowns, a lot of not wanting to do the sessions because mm. I didn't want to see myself come in and I didn't want to feel anything because I'm a man's man and all of this, yeah. get rid of all my ego. Mm. You know, um, mm -hmm. I don't have ego nowadays. It's, it's just my ego was too big back then. It's, yeah. it's too heavy to carry. Mm -hmm. Don't want it. Don't need mm -hmm. it. Um, so, yeah. And then I went through counselling and solution focused therapies and uh, commitment, is it acceptance commitment therapies mm -hmm. and so forth. And I just kept on 
add into my repertoire of training and mental health and courses mm-hmm. and, and and I just keep going even today really? I'm still still doing courses you know so it's about making me a better person on a daily basis mm-hmm. and how I can then possibly support somebody else later on down the line mm-hmm. namely namely my daughter because I wasn't there for her yeah. in her early years I only saw her once when she was probably two months then she was six then she was 16 mm-hmm. and I've had her back in my life since she was 16 now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we're still building a relationship and we're still finding out lots about each other you know because she has her own issues as well yeah yeah um but you understand that and that's a good thing as well you understand that that you're you're always working but I think it doesn't I think we're always working at relationships even if you are with your biology you know with your um parents parents yeah you're still working at a relationship all the time because we grow and we change genuinely don't we yeah so absolutely building a relationship with people so do you you know is there any kind of books that you've been reading that you've read over the time over these years or anything that's really that you can recommend to somebody that says, um, this just might be something to help you I, t- I tend to read um books around m- my work like um psychological ch- child trauma type okay yeah mm-hmm. uh, um, I tend to read those to try and get an understanding of child trauma um, and understanding for myself mm-hmm. what other children might be going through, just to kind of keep me updated on what a lot of these psychiatrists are mm-hmm. writing in their papers. Um, I've also read Trevor Noah's book, uh, Born a Crime. Mm-hmm. That's really, really good. Now, if you want racism hardcore, mm. read his book. And it's a, he's a South African comedian. Mm-hmm. The book is called Born a Crime because um, Born a Crime. Born a Crime, yeah, because mm-hmm. his dad is black and his mum is white, living in South Africa with apartheid. Oh. So that was illegal just to have him. Yeah. Yeah, that was illegal. So it, there's one part of his book, he says they were walking along the street and they saw the police coming and mum was holding his hand. Mm. And mum just let him go, like she didn't even know, didn't even know him. Like, oh no, doesn't belong to me. Mm. No, nope, don't know who he is, because if they found out that he was her son, mm-hmm. he'd have gone to prison. So he would have gone to prison. She'd have gone to prison. Yeah. Oh right, okay. But right. For having relationships outside of her race. Wow. Um, yeah. Sorry, dad was a white guy. Mum was black. Sorry. Right. That's the bit. So. Yeah. <laughs> That right. makes sense. I would have thought, yeah. I was thinking the mum was white, so that she wouldn't have gone to prison because the police. But <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, why I was just yeah. confirming in my own head at the same time, going, I should, yeah, I'll get it. <laughs> like, it's the other way around. That was Swiss. Yeah. Um, yeah, mum was black. So he, he lived like that. And if and if you're mixed race in South Africa, you're 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 considered the lowest. You know, if you're coloured, mm. they call it in South Africa, mm. you are considered the lowest of the low. So they had a child together and yeah, it's a really, really eye-opening book about the racism in South Africa and what he had to live through mm. as a mixed-race yeah, boy. And, I mean, if you look at him now, he's, he's one of the biggest hosts on TV today. Mm-hmm. He hosted The Daily Show in America. Mm-hmm. He's one of the most successful comedians in the world. Mm-hmm. He's so educational and he's so funny. Mm. He really is funny. Um, Trevor Noah, actually, look out for him, Maddie. 
Yeah, I am gonna. I'm definitely gonna have a look, look, check it out. I always like to learn from yeah. other people and stuff, you know, because I always believe that I'm, I'm blessed. I feel very blessed. It's, you know what I mean? Of yes. being here in England. I know there's racism everywhere. Come on, I'm not that stupid, but I'm just saying I'm still more blessed than that. Of like, like you know, yeah. I could have it'd be in a mixed relationship, and then I could get arrested for just being with the person. Yeah, yeah. For your yeah. love, isn't it? You know. Yeah. And, and things like really that. Mad. There's still yeah. that kind of stupid racism around now. You know, when you walk around the shop, a security guard might follow me more than anyone else around the Crazy. shop. Crazy. Yeah. I, I had the pleasure also of meeting um, Nelson Mandela's bodyguard. Um, really? A couple of years ago, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he came to an event that was run at the football club, actually, uh, Show Racism the Red Card yep. event. And I was invited down by the CEO. And um, he was one of the guest speakers there. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Lube. He, he still does inspirational talks now in, in the city and in Hampshire. Yeah. He's a gorilla of a man, let me tell you. He is huge. And yeah. he has some serious stories to tell about his growing up in South Africa yeah. and the way him and his mum was treated. Yeah. Yeah. So I was quite honoured to meet him. Yeah. And it doesn't make you think, though, how appreciate how appreciate your life is as well, though. Yeah, yeah. So I know good. I've been I've been for trauma too, but sometimes, you know, <laughs> 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 I can't compete against that. I'm not trying to compete. I'm just saying that story is a bit more. Oof. Yes, deep, deep. <laughs> yeah, that's deeper than than I. Yeah. Than, you know, yeah. I, I can feel that. I can feel the whole lot of it. I can put myself in that situation and go, shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and yeah, feel like, wow. Yeah. 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 You know, so yeah, it's, um, I've heard different stories about, I've got different people that have come to South Africa, their experience, and, and sometimes yeah, telling me, it. and I'm just like, I can't yeah. hear it because, oh no, it's, oh no. Because it is that deep. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I feel it so bad. But, that shows that I'm human, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> okay then. So like, um, I I'm I'm a lover of handbags, and I in my bag I do carry a lot of stuff, and I carry things in in, in a physical bag. I carry everything you need to, you know, baby wipes. I'm a woman, so I carry everything if you need something. I've got it in there. But then I have another. I always believe I have another handbag in my head, and in that handbag I carry tips and quotes that people give me and stuff. So is there anything that you think I should put in my handbag, Maddie's handbag of life? What should I put into my little bag that I could pull out? But then again, there's a couple of things you've already told me that I'm putting in. The quote that you put in earlier, that's going in. Um, I'm like, that is pretty powerful about like, you know, don't pray for a perfect pray for life. life. Yeah. yeah. Pray for, you know, the strength. Pray for the strength to endure a hard one. Yeah. yeah. That is in. <laughs> it's gone in. That's like yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I have two things, and one of them is another quote. Yeah, go um, ahead. The yeah. first one is that you should always have. Can you see that? Yeah. That's a bottle of water with lemon, with lemon and lime. Lemons and lime and ginger. Oh, okay. The reason why it looks this colour is because I've added a little bit of orange cordial to it for taste. Yeah. But you can have water if you like. So every day, I would have lemon, limes and raw ginger root okay. in water. And then you sip it during the course of the day. It helps the digestive system, keeps all your innards clean, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and it and it steers you away from drinking fizzy drinks. This is oh. much more healthier for you. I'm gonna try. That is really a good tip and a good helpful thing, actually. To be honest. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Trying to get away from that, and boring yeah. gets water gets boring. <laughs> Boring. Yeah, just put a little bit of cordial in there, Maddie. Just any type of cordial, just for a little bit of taste. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and the, the fruit will last two days. So as soon as you finish the water, you just refill it with you just refill it. Okay. Give it a shake. Yeah. Two days of fruit, and then you can eat the fruit if you're if you're strong enough to eat the lemon and the lime. Eat the lemon and the lime. Right. If not, you just put new new ones in. I'm gonna try that actually. That, that thank you. That is really good actually. You're welcome. Yeah. Daily refresher. So even if you're thirsty, it's a hot day. Don't yeah. go buy fizzy drinks. No. Bring a bottle of that in your in your bag. Yes. Um, second quote is: Okay. A true friend isn't someone who makes your problems disappear. They are the ones who don't disappear when you have the problems. Mm. Yeah. I can repeat that if you like. Yes, please. I think you need to. I think people need to hear this. A true friend isn't someone who makes your problems disappear. They are the ones who don't disappear when you have problems. Mm. A true friend is someone who doesn't disappear when you have a problem. Yeah, that's a powerful bit. Do you know I mean? That is it. Wow, that is a powerful one, that one is, mm. definitely. Oh, yeah. Very powerful. On that, I, I want to leave the podcast on that because that is something that people need to hear and just to, to, just to have that there. Just want to say to you, Jake, thank you so much for giving up your time today. Welcome, um, it's been such a pleasure, a real pleasure. You're I want to say thank you to my listeners for taking the time to listen as well. Um, and I do hope you have a wonderful day, evening or afternoon or every time you listen to this podcast. I do hope you all the best. And keep being you and keep being bold. I'll be back Thank to you, you very Maddie. soon with another episode. Thank you, Maddie. Stay humble, stay grateful. As always. Bye-bye. <laughs>